Hey, so I bet you're wondering what this uh, Force Ghost thing is that showed up in your Hoopod feed. Well, this is my other podcast. Welcome to Force Ghosts. My name is Blair Beveridge, and this podcast is going to focus on those people who Star Wars has really had a profound impact on their life. Think of this as Hoopod, but for people with a deep love for Star Wars. Now, originally when I planned this podcast, it was going to be for people who were alive when the original run of the movies came out. But I found that to be a very elitist stance. And it says that, you know, people who weren't alive, haven't had Star Wars, have that level of impact on their life. And that's just frankly not true. So I'm happy to have uh, changed my mind on that and just in, in, in open it up to anyone who Star Wars has meant as much to them as it has to me. Now, the format of the show will be that my guest and myself will talk about who they are, what they do, but also um, the effects Star Wars has had on their life, uh, bring up certain topics, but we're going to just go where the conversation takes us. Now, these podcasts, and this one in particular, will speak heavily on the spoiler side of things. So if you haven't seen The Force Awakens yet, I recommend heavily that you stop this podcast right now, go watch it, and then when you're done, please come back and listen. Now, the guest on this episode will be Chris Bramante. Now, most people know Chris from the podcast Sunnydale Study Group, uh, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast that I've been on, which was pretty awesome, uh, with his co-hosts uh, Omar Najam and Holland Farkas. This is a podcast I highly recommend everyone check out. But uh, those who haven't perhaps not heard this may have seen Chris a couple other areas. He's in an improv group called Robot Team Bait and the Accidental Party. They perform in and around the LA area. Uh, he's also been on the Geek and Sundry Twitch channel with that improv troupe a couple of times. He's been on an uh, episode of Super Fun Party Night, I think, something like that, on the Geek and Sundry Network with uh, Jesse Cox and Jessica Marzipan. And uh, he's also been on an episode of Drama Club Heroes. Uh, he filled in at the last second, played Indiana Jones, and did a great job, in my opinion. So, without any further ado, enough of me rambling. Welcome to Force Ghosts. This is episode two. My guest, Chris Bramante. Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of Force Ghosts. Today, I am joined, as you heard in the preamble, by my guest, Chris Bramante. Chris, uh, say hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. How are you? Chris is a podcaster. He's an improv actor, server to the stars, according to some things I've heard online, um, and mm-hmm. an all-round awesome dude. So, uh, Chris, let's, let's let's dive into Star Wars with you, and then we'll, we'll get yes. to know a little bit more about you. Let's get some intro in the way. Uh, growing up, how, what are your first kind of Star Wars-related memories? Star Wars, I would say, is actually my oldest conscious memory. Um... I would say one of my very, very earliest memories is me and my childhood friend, David Murphy, playing with Fit Toys, playing with the toys. This is pre the 1997 Mm re-releases. And I remember he had the at-ats. I had like a lot of toys, but he had the ships because like his brother, his older brother who grew up when they were actually coming out in the 70s and 80s had that stuff. So... It's always been there. Mm -hmm. It's always been extremely present. And then I remember also before the 1997 re-release, the uh, there's an old theater called the Ioka, which was in Exeter, New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. 
and my parents, actually it might be an Epping. Anyway, it's either an Epping or Exeter, it's one of the E-towns. Uh, my parents found an old like bootleg print or something like that and we projected it and I got to see Star Wars on the big screen oh, as a... Nice. Uh, yeah, I remember I wasn't going to Cobra practice. So it's like Star Wars has always just been fused with my day-to-day. So, you know, it, it's never stopped. Right. Now, you mentioned you're from New Hampshire, um, living on the West Coast now. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't you just, uh, you've given us a little bit of your, your, your intro into Star Wars. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your, your, your life in New Hampshire, your moving across country, all that sort of jazz, and, and why you made the journey. Oh, yeah, Okay. Um, I've always been a performery showbiz kind of kid. Um, I have done plays since I was little. Uh, and then freshman year of high school was where I decided that I actually wanted to be a writer. And it was because of Buffy. And so that's when I kind of actually began to consider that that was an actual job that you could pursue. Um, I don't, you know what? I would say that there were Joss Whedon and Mel Brooks, of course, but also Tarantino and honestly Kevin Smith. Because it was like Kevin Smith, even though I don't necessarily like revisit his movies that often because I've kind of... I don't really necessarily find them as funny as I did when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but he was one of the first people that I like knew as a writer director. Mm. Like the idea that I like I was watching a Kevin Smith movie, I was watching a Quentin Tarantino movie, I wasn't watching a Johnny Depp movie right. where it was like because you go back home and it's like you know those of us who are so versed in the talking about this stuff all the time, it's like back home it was always actor driven. Right. It was like what actor was in it. Right. So. Movies, I was always the movies kid in a, uh, in a world of not that many movies kids. Mm. And then I did a bunch of plays. I was in a punk band, Mosh Potatoes. You probably heard me mention on the podcast. Mm. Uh, and then I applied for NYU. I went to NYU Tisch, studied dramatic writing. Great experience. Still hold a lot of those friends to this day. My uh, main professor was named Charlie Rubin. He was an old Seinfeld writer. I don't know if you've uh, seen the episode where George um, pretends he's a marine biologist. No, no. (laughs) You haven't seen that one where, like, Kramer's golfing into the ocean and George has to, like, save the whale? I I haven't, but uh, frankly, there was a point in Seinfeld where I started to tune out. You know, oh, okay. you know, I mean, a lot of people I know loved it, but uh, I, I had a hiatus in there where it just kind of disappeared for me. But, I, I, I mean, still great show for sure. Oh, yeah. So that was my professor, Charlie. Uh-huh. And what I came to learn, so I lived in New York for five years total, four years for NYU, and then one year I was working at ABC News. That was my first job in media. Wow. And I was an ingest operator, which was a news feed operator. And about a year into that, I was starting to lose my mind. I had to work <laughs> two, uh, I had to work an overnight and a day shift every week. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like I was like, all right, you're night shifts this week. So I would do Good Morning America, where you'd have to go in at three in the morning to get everything recording. Uh-huh. And then like Stephanopoulos and all those people would get there at like four in the morning. And then I had to do World News Tonight, which I liked doing because I didn't have to get there till noon. But my body was taking a toll. And then I remember at the uh, 
when the Haiti earthquake struck, it was just like such a grim thing and everybody was already very desensitized right, to it. Right. And what I learned was I was like, just because this is TV doesn't mean I need to work at it. Mm-hmm. So I quit. I left New York. I moved back to New Hampshire. I uh, worked in my dad's guitar warehouse, saved up money for like six months. Then I drove out to L.A. with no real plan. I just had some money and a place to live. Uh, and then just kind of hit the ground and uh, sort of rediscovered performing in L.A. Because throughout college, I stopped performing. Mm-hmm. And then I began performing again uh, with Robot Teammate and the Accidental Party, which is my musical improv group. Right. Now, you, you, you mentioned that a couple of things for those who may not be aware. Um, Chris is one of the trio that does the Sunnydale, uh, Sunnydale Study Group uh, podcast for Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer. And that's the podcast that you were referencing. Um, mm-hmm. a, po- yes. a podcast that I got to be on, which was awesome. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, fun. You did a great job. You're on TED. I'm on, on TED. TED yes, I, I enjoyed TED, and there, there's one I, I earmarked that you guys will hopefully let me be on later. So that would be awesome. Um, yes. And for those of you from the Geek and Sundry community, they've seen you a few times with Robot Teammates and the Accidental Party, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. They show up on the Twitch stream from time to time. But I've also uh, recently seen you a couple other things. You were in the was a super fun party show or something. Yeah, Dave and I, Dave from Robot Teammate and myself, we were on Super Fun Party, Super Awesome Party Game Time. Something like that. I'm sorry, I don't remember. <laughs> Some variation of, of joyful terms surrounding games and parties. It's true, yes. Yeah, we played Live Operation. That was fun. Mm-hmm. I did uh, Hector's show, the um, Drama Club. Thing. Yes, that, that's my favorite show on the Twitch. You got to last second fill in as Indiana Jones. Yes, I did. Yeah, Lucas hit me up real last minute. He was like, hey, can you be on the air in 30 minutes? And I was like, well, you know what? I actually can. <laughs> no, and you did a great job. I, I, was, I was watching that night. So, uh, so for, for those of you from the Geek Asunder Network, that's where they may see you. You do a lot of um, uh, improv and performing in the L.A. area. Mm-hmm. You mentioned right. Hamiltoons is on, your, uh, on the podcast yeah. and yeah. Uh, some other stuff that, uh, that you're, you're working on. But... Uh, as, as someone for me, and this, I felt really embarrassed about this, I noticed an outpouring of Hamilton love about six months ago, and I didn't, uh-huh. and I didn't know where it was coming from, because the, like for me, Hamilton is the city half an hour away from where I live, so right. I'm like, what, what, what is this Hamilton thing everybody loves, and, 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 and I just, I never really cared enough to, to look it up online, and then one day, I think we were watching, it might have been the Grammys, and all of a sudden they came out, and I'm like, oh, Oh, now I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was yeah. just something that was very surprising to me. So you you do something. What is it that you do with Hamiltoons? So Hamiltoons is a it's basically a sing along club hmm. that anybody can be in. Um, I am a big musical theater kid. Um, fell in love, fell hard for Hamilton as many people have mm-hmm. and. When did I first fall for Hamilton? Probably sometime, sometime before Thanksgiving, because my sister and I went and saw it in New York over Thanksgiving. Cause my grandparents live in Connecticut, right. and we waited in the cancellation line for two days. And finally, the we got to the front, nice. and we got tickets, and we got center orchestra. It was incredible. Um, so what we did, me and a bunch of other diehard Hamilton folk, I guess the term is Hamil trash. Um, <laughs> We 
my friend Liz, she, I, I wake up to a text from her one day and it says, hey, what if we put together a night that was basically just Hamilton karaoke where people picked parts and we like almost did kind of a mini run of it. Mm-hmm. And we just take donations and it's a party and there can be kind of like Rocky Horror type callbacks. And we said, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we did one. It was like a 50 person theater and it was packed to the brim and it was super high oh. energy and awesome. Second time we did an 80 person theater and it was packed to the brim. And then this other group that kind of spun off from our event because there was too much demand for our event and we couldn't really contain it. So my friend Kelly started a bigger uh, event. Right. Um, And that had like 200 people at it. Wow. And so we're doing our third. We call it working on three. By the time this comes out, we'll probably have done it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that works, but we're doing working on three, which is a reference to it. And it's basically, we, people sign up for parts, we sell singing tickets, all donations just go to renting the space and having a party, and then the rest goes, we're uh, donating it to Eliza Hamilton's Orphanage Foundation, Nice. Um, which is an idea we, uh, we got from Kelly was raising money for orphanages as well, because mm-hmm. Hamilton was an orphan, that's a big part of the story. Right. It's basically just an obsessive love of a show in a way that I have never seen because there hasn't ever really been a show like Hamilton because the music is actually, it's, it's rap, but it's also poppy, and it's, it's not show tunes. No, and it, I think that's, that's what throws people, you know, I mean, it, it threw me. It was just like, I sit down, I'm seeing the costumes, and I'm like, okay, and then all of a sudden the music starts, and I'm like, Oh damn! <laughs> you know, like it was. I just was not expecting it, and it was. And I totally understood why people get drawn in and have mm-hmm. remained so faithful to this musical to this point, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, we love it, and I'm curious as to how long it'll go on because it's like, you know, we're definitely gonna do a fourth one. Mm-hmm. And there's been all these other cities that have started. There's like a Hamilton, uh, and they've messaged us because we have a starter pack, and anyone can start one. Like if you know people who like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, up in Canada, let me know too, because we're trying to have as many as possible. Right now, we've got New York, we've got Connecticut, we've got Pittsburgh, we've got San Francisco, uh, San Diego's cropping up. We've got um, about eight other people who have messaged us, and they're going to start a Hamiltoons in their mm-hmm. city. So it's been interesting. All right, podcast listeners, he's put out the call. We we have people from Oz all the way to uh, to the north of Canada, so. Mm-hmm. Let's make this a cool. thing. So let's Hamiltoons, Hamiltoons, LA at Gmail. Email us. We'll let you. We'll help you get started. There we go. All right. So let's bring it back into the Star Wars universe. Um, we talked yeah. about your your first experiences, which was awesome. Um, now I'm going to ask about your Star Wars cred. So you, you talked about seeing the mm-hmm. first one in the screener. What other sort of uh, movie related experiences have you had? The prequels, the re releases, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So. I am mostly a movies guy. Mm-hmm. I've read some extended uni- uh, expanded universe, and I know much of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I'm not New Order. I don't know that stuff that well. I haven't played Knights of the Old Republic. Um, there are definitely large gaps mm-hmm. in my fandom. However, my passion for the films is very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Right. I almost 
try not to refer to A New Hope as Star Wars. I mean, as I, I try not to refer to it as A New Hope. I call it Star Wars. Right, right. Uh, which I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Well, I mean, that's the title the movie was released under. You know, exactly. I, when I saw it, it was called Star Wars. Yep. It could have been the only one of its time, of its kind, if it wasn't as popular as it was, and it would have just been known no. as Star Wars. Because then a new hope was given in the 1997 re-release, correct? Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I it might it might have been. I thought it always said Episode Four, but I don't remember if it said a new Did hope. It? You could be right. Okay. To be honest, I have an old copy. I'm gonna have to look at that now. <laughs> I actually don't yeah, know. Yeah, let's check that out because I'm not sure what the deal is with that but that was always my understanding i always called that movie star wars uh so yeah movies as a kid i mean i loved the prequels when i was little i would say the first prequel that i really didn't like was revenge of the sith because i was old enough to realize that it wasn't good by that point right and then when i saw revenge of the sith and didn't like it i was like wait a minute and then i went back and rewatched the other two and i was like wait a minute these are bad too (laughs) You know, I mean, the one thing that, um, I mean, it's it's pretty universally known that the prequels get a bad rap, and, and they weren't anywhere near the type of quality movie that the first, uh, the original three were. Um, I, I, I tend to, when I, when I rewatched coming into this new movie, I tend to not be as harsh with them. I mean, yes, there are some points of it that were terrible, but I think a lot of that mm. just came from the built-up expectation of years of wanting more material. And there, I don't even know... Like, I mean, this this latest movie did live up to its hype, but, you know, most people will say, yeah, it was about an 8 out of 10 or a 7.5 out of 10. Um, mm-hmm. It's still a very enjoyable movie, but with the prequels, you know, maybe you could be fair and say they were fives. I mean, they weren't twos, in my opinion, but they, they weren't as good no. as the other ones, but they're still not terrible movies. Um, no, there's very cool world building going on. Mm-hmm. I think that... I, maybe I've had this, I don't know if I've had this discussion with you, but we should have it here because we're talking about Star Wars. I always break down with the prequels is that I think that one, Phantom Menace to me is the best, but it has the worst parts. And so people think it's the worst, but they're incorrect. Mm. That they think that because of Jar Jar Binks and because of Jake Lloyd, that it is the worst of the movies, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It has Darth Maul. Uh It was still kind of practical. And even though the Trade Federation are, have the voices that they have, which could be deemed racially Uh odd, Uh that they're still practical people in suits. It wasn't 100% CG at that point. And uh, I'm not crazy about the pod race when I watch it back. I mean, the pod race gets a lot of cred. Uh The pod race is kind of repetitive. It's, you know, it's no Wreck-It Ralph. Um... (laughs) And and uh, and Qui Gon is kind of cool. I mean, I, I agree. Yes. I I kind of wish that it was just. I mean, wishes were horses. I wasn't writing the movies, but it's like I wish it was just Yoda, Obi Wan, Anakin. That's it. Mm-hmm. That Yoda is the figure that's training Obi Wan. Didn't need another character. Yeah, it, and I agree. It got too big. I feel like if JJ was taking like the simplistic approach. Mm-hmm or trying to, right. that that's kind of what it would have been. And I think that George Lucas just went so buck wild with creating so many new characters right. and, you know, the toys. Like, I've got Star Wars prequel toys that I could not tell you who the hell these people are. Right. Um, I've got original, uh, you know, Cantina crew people, and I can kind of tell you who those people are. Right, right. Um, but 
Yeah, a lot of cool world building. The Senate, I'm fine with that stuff. I, you know, I like Padme. I think it was just a lost opportunity to make the Star Wars love story. Yeah. And because you don't like them. And the fact that she's her and that he's a little boy and it starts that way, it's yeah. weird. It, yeah, they, they really do just introduce it on a creepy note. And then you're like, we yeah. just we need you to accept this. I'm like, well, no. I mean, no. I'm sorry. That that's yeah. that's weird. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Natalie Portman, and um, me too. Me too. I wish that Padme was you know had a little bit more to do, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, Ewan is my favorite thing of those movies. I think yeah. If they told me, hey, we're doing a Obi Wan movie, I'd be like, great. I loved him as Obi Wan. I had no problem with him as Obi-Wan. If you're doing stories of him becoming Alec Guinness, great. I'm into it. I have no problem with that. Especially because it's like, he was kind of one of the lost opportunities. And I think that, while I think that one is the best with the worst parts, I think that Attack of the Clones is the worst with the best parts. Right. Because the parts... In that movie, it's Obi-Wan's best stuff. Because at that point, it's still kind of lighthearted. Right. Um, like, even like him going to Kamino and discovering the clones and fighting Jango Fett. And he's got the long hair. And like him, like, uh, chasing Zam Wessel through Coruscant and just dives out of, the, out of the glass. It's like, that's the best Obi-Wan, most Indiana Jones type stuff, I think, of that entire trilogy. Right, right. And, um, and, I, and I like the, um, I like the Geonosis um, stuff. I mean, maybe if I watched it again, it would look a little too video gamey. But as a kid, when I was in sixth grade, I believe, watching Attack of the Clones, right, loved it, right. loved it. When Yoda, when Yoda fought, loved it. Like watching it back now, yeah, I wish Yoda was just using kind of force magic and was being kind of a peaceful, heroic Jedi as opposed right. to kind of like a warrior, but. And then Revenge of the Sith, I just really don't care for. There's nothing about it I care for. I think it's, it had the most that it had to do. And I think that the Anakin turn just doesn't work. Uh, and, and to me, that was like when Anakin was announced as Darth Vader and like in that moment and the way he was, I was just like, ugh, this is where this happens. This is, no, I don't like this. You know what, it's something I've been thinking about recently, and it just kind of clicked on me right now, is the way Anakin is portrayed in mainly episode three is mm -hmm. pretty similar to Kylo Ren. Like, that yeah. that e emotional, over-the-top, kind of, why-me kind of personality. And, and it was something that, that I, you know, at first I kind of was like, well, why did they do that with Kylo? And then I'm like... Oh, maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe it's he's Anakin. Yeah, he's Anakin. He's. Hey. I think he's kind of the better version of Anakin. Hmm. Uh, he's definitely a better actor. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I, I appreciate Kylo Ren to an extent. Um, I kind of don't like him. Uh, I think that it's like there are certain storytelling tropes that are unforgivable mm -hmm. patricide um what do you call it when you what, what's child murder does that have a, a side term for it <laughs> but it's like you didn't need to you didn't need anakin to murder children yeah 
You didn't need him to do that. Especially it's like you're branding your story and it's, it's like that's it, Darth Vader is one of the most represented figures in pop culture entirely. His face right. is everywhere. And he's and he killed a bunch of kids. It's like Kylo Ren we we can talk about spoilers on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, spoil away. Yeah, Kylo Ren kills his dad. It's like you can't really come back from that. And I know they're going to try to get it to come back. We know it's going to be like, and you know what? Maybe it was a plan all along and he was in on it. Whatever it was, whatever the, the true reason behind it is with those two specific villains, they're kind of unforgivable. And yeah. I think that if you want a redemptive villain, you need to not go certain places with it. And Star Wars did. I don't know. What is your thought on that? Well, for starters... Vader was badass because he walked in, he had control of everything, and he had just this air of don't fuck with me. Mm-hmm. And yes. I got none of that from the character of Anakin. You know, I yeah. mean, even through the Clone War cartoon, where, I mean, he was a frontline leader, he, they did a better job in the cartoon in building up his persona to, to get a little bit closer to the Vader stuff. But even then, he didn't have that air of, I'm the baddest man in this room. He's just this mm-hmm. whiny, whiny little kid still. Um, and Kylo, you know, I, I'm kind of with you on Kylo Ren. I was disappointed in how he turned out, you know, and, and mm-hmm. perhaps it's unfair. He's at the beginning of his own journey, but you kind of want the baddie to be bad right away. You don't want him to, yeah. right, yeah, you don't want him to be a whiny little kid. I mean, a lot of people, that, that was a knock on Luke, is Luke didn't become a character really until Return of the Jedi. Um, Whereas the first couple, he was just kind of a whiny little kid, and, or some, you know, guy wants to make out with his sister, but um, yeah, right. so yeah, so I mean, the Kylo Ren character, I mean, is this a character that will be redeemed? I don't know. I mean, my personal take is they were going to kill the big three anyway, so killing Han Solo in The Force Awakens, not that big a thing for me, because I had a feeling it was the most obvious of the choices. Harrison had made it very clear when he was filming Jedi that he thought Han Solo should die. At that point, he perhaps had a little bit of weight behind his words. Today, he's got all the weight in Hollywood behind his words. Um, So you knew he was going to get what he was going to get. I doubt that we'll see any of the big three make make it through the trilogy, personally. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean, just from a logistical standpoint, you know, Carrie Fisher... Maybe Leia... Yeah, I mean, Carrie Fisher, I would like to see do more. She just didn't do enough in that first one for me. And they didn't, J.J. did not know what to do with her. I don't know what it was. And I heard that it was like, because Carrie Fisher can be entertaining. And she did mm-hmm. not give a good performance in The Force Awakens. And it was right. like, you know what? This almost isn't even Leia. Right. It's like, you know, the, the Carrie Fisher that you see on the late night talk show couches Right. is a super entertaining lady and she's mm-hmm. super charismatic and she's awesome so right. it's like the fact that none of that came through in older leia and i know that leia was kind of like a functional figure but there was no there was none of that carrie fisher sass which i think defines yeah. who why leia is a powerful figure so i thought that was a little i was a little disappointed with han and leia in force awakens is a big problem of mine Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I get it that it's the choice, but Force Awakens, once it kind of settled in, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to get Heir to the Empire on tape because, <laughs> and then I went and did. Because it's right. like, you know what? I want to believe in a universe where Han and Leia live, loved, love each other. Yeah. Still. Yeah. 
And the fact that the Disney version, they fell apart and yeah. their son became a basically a trench coat mafia kind of like murderer. Mm-hmm. It's like if you translate, I get like Dark Side of the Force and like it's a different sort of thing, but um, it didn't sit right with me. It just felt too grim. Yeah. And I, and I know a lot of people liked that. Mm. See, I didn't mind the fact that they worked together. It was the fact that her fire was gone. Because to, to a point, I, the way Harrison Ford played Han Solo was, okay, I still have the smart assness. However, you know, it's been 30 years. I've had a kid. I've had a family. I'm a lot calmer. But he still had his Han Solo. Whereas with with uh, with General so or General Organa, I guess is the, her name in this, um, I didn't see the fire. I didn't see the fire that made Princess Leia so good. I mean, yeah, you mm. could be functional in a job and, 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 you know, you can miss Han, but you got to have that fire. That was so central to your character. To mm-hmm. remove that was... I, I agree with you. I think... Um, I have less of a problem with Han Solo, I think, than you than you do, but I have a I'm with you with Leia. It was just Yeah. She she needed to be better I, and, yeah. and maybe yeah. they dumped her down to again, this had to be Ray's movie, you know, and you know, a lot of yeah. the a lot of the original scripts I, I was watching the D V D and things I've heard is they were trying to write something where Luke Skywalker was more involved, but every time they did it he just outshone Ray. And there was just no way to have you know, the Luke Skywalker character um, be the main focus of the movie. It had to be Han Solo's movie, but really mm. raise the best character. And they were able to yeah. do that with Han Solo, but they weren't, they weren't able to do it with Luke in the, in the pre-writes. And I think a similar thing, like if you would have had a very sassy Leia, perhaps the Rey character, there, there wouldn't have been as much of a, a draw or attention to her. With that being said, I, I, I still wanted to see it. I wanted to see more from Leia. Yeah. And they could have worked through it. I think part of me aches that we that you go from Return of the Jedi to The Force Awakens and then everything's awful. And I think that a lot of that's going to come on the shoulders of Episode 8. Yeah. Because I would love... I want more than anything I want from Star Wars right now is I want a scene with Luke and ghost puppet Yoda. Mm. Um, I want that so bad. Mm-hmm. And I want Yoda to acknowledge, and I hope that they acknowledge, that this is because you left. That it's like the end of Empire was not consequenceless. Mm-hmm. That you not completing your training and taking Vader, uh, Vader's trap or the Emperor's trap caused your friends to die. It caused the force to become unbalanced. It's like you weren't, you were not prepared to start a, the Jedi Knights. Right. Um, and so I hope that that gets acknowledged that it was Luke's error with his training that directly caused everything to fall out. And in that sense, I will feel, um, I'll feel a little bit better about it, but the fact that it's like you lose that happy ending. It's like, all right, we're all drumming on stormtrooper heads with a bunch of Ewoks, but it's like, eh, no, now everybody's sad and dead and doesn't love each other anymore. And that's not the vision of the world that I necessarily feel like I go to Star Wars for. But, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's there's a big gap in between the movies, and now they've erased the entire canon of people creating stories in that, in that gap about it. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they could obviously rewrite history, and they've already started to rewind a little bit with the Rogue One movie, which is, mm-hmm. as, as a friend of mine called it, Episode 3B, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, I'm like, it's more like Episode 4 was 4B, and this would be more like 4A, but anyway. Um, what, what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far from Rogue One? Love it. Love Rogue One. Um... It looks like Star Wars. It looks clean. It, look, it looks like a cleaner, newer version of Star Wars. And I love that Mon Mothma's in it. Right. And that it's just, it's respecting a character like that. Mm-hmm. I hope that Vader's in it. I hope that Vader is without baggage. Mm. You know, I don't, want him, I don't want him to be Anakin at all. Right. I want him to just be faceless vader and like if you know whatever her name is what's rogue one's name oh starts with a j um i don't j- remember jin j- jin i think yeah so i'm hoping that like in the whatever the situation is like i don't want him to be in it too much but when he's in it i think it's gonna be awesome and they do kind of need to put vader in this movie because it's like Doing the doing this movie in a way to me is kind of what Disney's doing with the live action remakes of the old Nine Men animated classics because it's like Disney needs Cinderella to stay relevant. Disney needs the Jungle Book to stay relevant, and a I don't know what it's like um, for uh, for your. You have one child or a few children? Zero. Zero children? Oh, yeah. sorry. I thought you had it. I don't know why I did. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know what it's like in for the children that you perhaps know in your life. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is to them, it's like hand-drawn is antiquated. Mm-hmm. Hand-drawn is antiquated. Maybe they'll watch Aladdin and the Little Mermaid. But are they going to throw on the Jungle Book or anything that like the old nine men made Disney? No way. But they know what it is, and they know what the toys look like, and Disney is so... It needs these things to be around, and these movies are doing very well. So I feel like with Vader, Vader needs to stay relevant. It cannot all be Kylo Ren, because Darth Vader is such a big character that they need to keep him active, and I think that doing it via something like Rogue One or doing it with Rebels, I think it's a great idea. Right. Um, I love what they've been doing with him in Rebels, by the way. Did yeah, you? I haven't been watching it. You haven't been, or no? I've only seen like episodes here and there. Okay, so he's not in too many in this past season, which just ended. But the the season finale that just I think occurred about a month ago is amazing. I'll just leave it at that. For okay, anyone awesome. who hasn't watched Rebels, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, I if you have the ability, watch Clone Wars first because it gives you. You don't have to, but. There's a couple of characters from Clone Wars, which is still considered canon, that eventually show up in Rebels, and, it, and it's very relevant, relevant to know their journey, specifically in Season 2. And, um, yeah, so if anyone... Again, Rebels is something I recommend to everybody, and uh, uh, especially because the canon got reset. So a lot of people have been like, oh man, the Star Wars universe is so huge, there's so many movies. Well, you know what? They give you a big reset button. You have, mm-hmm. you know, seven movies you need to watch. Eight come this the end of the year. You have one um, or two animated shows to watch. You got six episodes of Clone Wars or, or six seasons of Clone Wars and two seasons of Rebels. 
and you have a few comics which you could tear through pretty quickly and all most of them are actually really good I've been really enjoying the comics as well um, you mentioned that uh, you haven't read too many books but you did mention that you have read one of my favorites and that was the heir to the empire mm -hmm. the Timothy Zahn trilogy which to the me Thrawn if, trilogy yeah Thrawn yeah the Thrawn trilogy you, if you could throw out every other book ever written on Star Wars and keep three those would be the exact three I would keep because the character gr character Grand Admiral Thrawn I know everybody wants it to happen and they kind of a little bit tease it in the Rogue, War Rogue One trailer that it could be someone that's in that ilk I mean I would love for that character to be a kind of hidden Admiral Thrawn, you know, obviously he doesn't have the blue skin, um, but, you know, he's got the uniform. So you're kind of going, hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you, are you messing with us? Because if you are, my hat is off to you. Um, right. It might be kind of in the same way that, like, I mean, Ray, whatever Ray's lineage turns out to be, Ray and Kylo Ren are kind of Jason and Jaina. It's like, they're not exact mm -hmm. but they're taking the idea of the heritage sending the two the next generation into different directions with the force where they end up clashing together right so it's like it's almost like the entire because like, you know when jason and jane and when jason does go evil mm -hmm. and then you just kind of immediately show up with evil jason and he's kylo ren mm -hmm. uh, and that ray is like if they're related or not, whatever it is. So I think that maybe with the Thrawn thing in Rogue One, it's like he's probably not Thrawn, but he's definitely, I'm certain, that in the conversations Inspired they're like, you know what, it. let's have him be like an Admiral Thrawn character. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that would be good enough for me. I mean, I'd love to see a Chiss character be used. Um, I, I love the look, the blue skin, the red eyes. Uh, I understand in the kind of former world, if the older world, if you will, of Star Wars, um, one thing that the Emperor is known as is being a racist. He only likes dealing mm -hmm. with humans, so that would be mm -hmm. difficult to show. Hence, what, the amount of respect that Grand Admiral Thrawn has by being Chiss and having uh, you know, gone as high up into the, the Navy as he did. Um, but yeah, when it comes to Jane and Jason, for those who might not know, they're the solo twins in the uh, Extended Universe, or Legends mm -hmm. Universe, as it's called now. And um, there was a third solo kid in there too, but that that did not have a happy ending. <laughs> Anakin Solo, Anakin Solo, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's oh, a. Oh man. What other? Are you excited about Rogue One? Did you say you were excited about Rogue One? I am. Um, right now, there there was some footage at the end when they showed like the AT-ATs. I loved oh, that. That was so cool. And you know they're putting the the faceplate onto the on, uh, the super laser on the Death Star. Stuff like that was very nostalgic for me. Um, I know Alan Tudjikson wrote one, and I didn't see him in the trailer, so I was kind of like, hmm, you know, I was really kind of hoping to see his character, but um, yeah, I, I am going to cool. look forward to it. I'll go. I'll enjoy it, I'm sure. Um, I do, like yourself, hope to see some Vader, like a badass Vader. I mean, the timelines, you can't yeah. give us a shitty Vader in this timeline. He's, he no. was at his pinnacle at that point, mm -hmm. and that's the dude I want to see walking in. I don't know yeah. what here, James. Top Rachel of his game. Was. That's right. Top of his game. Just... No, he's nobody's father. He's nobody's ex-lover. He's just Darth fucking Vader. You know? All right. And, and, <laughs> and, there, and there's just something so pure about that. It's true. It's true. So your favorite mm -hmm. movie out of all seven? Empire. 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 Uh, it used to be Jedi, but then I recently rewatched it all and realized it wasn't. Um, Empire, to me, Yoda is everything. 
Yeah. Yoda is... Uh, to me, the Force and Yoda are the reason that Star Wars is what it is. Is that And the feat that taking a Jim Henson puppet, voiced by Frank Oz, and having that be your central spiritual figure and it working mm-hmm. is such a triumph. And I, I think that the Force is the best spirituality that has ever been presented in film mm-hmm. and it's the most widely reaching because it's non-denominational and anyone can protect project their own particular belief onto the force right um i think it's to me it's most directly buddhist because i'm am a buddhist but it's like there's other anyone can kind of claim an element of the force because i think what it shows is that a lot of these spiritualities really kind of are representing a similar idea and so for the pop culture religion to be the force is to me why Empire is the strongest. What about Gro- yourself? Uh, growing up, uh, Jedi for sure was my number one. And, and I'll be honest with you, it currently still is, but on my latest rewatch, I started to gain a level of appreciation for Empire that I've never had. For starters, the dialogue in Empire is outstanding. Like mm-hmm. the spe- specifically the stuff between Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Was stuff. It, yeah. it was absolutely great, and it's something I don't think I really paid enough respect to growing up. I, I was so focused on Luke's journey that I just mm-hmm. kind of was like, okay, you know, those guys are there, and you know, they're doing their thing, and they're they're all right. But I was always so focused on Luke's journey, and um, I guess I I just had a different perspective coming into this new movie, realizing that hey, look, I, it, this is no longer Luke's story, so let's really give it, each character their own kind of breath of chance. And I watched it differently, so it, I, I, I definitely still have to say Jedi. Um, Empire, mm-hmm. though, is a lot closer than it used to be for me. And yeah. I'll be honest with you, Force Awakens is, is taking the bronze at this point, and that mainly comes for me because I loved the character of Rey. Yeah, love Rey. She's awesome. Yeah, I mean, she's awesome. Top two character yeah. in Star Wars. I think me. I like I like Force Awakens more than I like. Uh, I'm more ready to watch Force Awakens than I am to watch Star Wars or New Hope. Because uh, yeah. while that movie's great and everything, it's to me, it's a little slow. And it's not... It, to me, I love the Han stuff. I love Obi-Wan. But everything else, it obviously had to be a presentation of everything. It's the pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it does a great job of that. But the moments, to me, aren't as yeah. exciting and rewatchable. Um, yeah, the reason that Jedi was overtaken by Empire for me is very much similar to what you were saying, is that the Han and Leia stuff was so strong in that movie that when you follow up with Return of the Jedi, while I absolutely love the Jabba's Palace stuff, and I love the Emperor stuff, Mm -hmm. and I like the Ewoks. I mean, I grew up obsessed with the Ewoks. To me, it was like... The Ewoks weren't something you had to excuse. The reason that you loved Return of the Jedi was because the Ewoks were in it. And I get now when I rewatch it, it feels... Watching it back now, I get that if I was someone who was older mm-hmm. and I watched um, Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. and it went from... Empire Strikes Back, and then the final showdown was with these adorable little bear creatures, that something would feel wrong about that. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I grew up on the Ewok Adventures, Caravan of Courage, and Battle for Endor, and mm-hmm. I've watched those a million times over. I rewatched them in the past few years. They're not quite as great as I as I. <laughs> they don't hold up too well. <laughs> no, no, Battle for Endor uh, doesn't doesn't really necessarily work, but it did at the time. Uh, so for me, it's even beyond the Ewoks. It's just that the Han stuff post Jabba, uh-huh. he kind of disappears. Yeah, Han and Leia both kind of disappears um, in a way that. Really brings it down a level, and and the sheer danger surrounding the shield generator shield generator mission doesn't feel like you're going into the final battle of your saga. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, obviously, the fight in the sky was a lot more impressive, and the fight that Luke was having with Vader was by far the biggest of the three. But yeah, I totally get what you're saying where the shield generator is like, well, you kind of drew the short straw, you kind of got the easy job, um, and obviously they, they built it up and, and made it more than it was, but at, at the end of the day, it was, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's the, the, I think they just wanted a green um, battle because, you know, they'd done a white battle, they've done a few space battles, and they needed, and they wanted to add another color to this, and and, and green was the obvious choice. And I mean, I love some of the work that they did on Endor. I love the speeder bike work. I, yes, the speeder um, bike chase is awesome. Right, but, you know, and, and I didn't mind the Ewoks either, I'll be honest with you, because they're the ultimate underdog. Like, truly, not only mm-hmm. are they little, but they are, in a lot of terms, uncivilized and, you know, no technology. So here they are with no technology. They, they, they have no business being in this fight. And they were able to do what they needed to do in order to turn the battle around, um, which was, was in itself pretty cool. But um, yeah. I, I, I totally get yeah. what you're saying there. I love it, yeah. And I love them. When they show up, I like that. I mm-hmm. think it's mostly just the stuff around like the entry and yeah. like the troopers. It just seems kind of small. Mm-hmm. And... And I was trying to think, like, well, maybe they just didn't necessarily know how to build a battle at that point in time. But then the stuff, like you said, the, the fight in the sky is so exciting. And the stuff in Bespin mm-hmm. is dramatic as well. Yeah. So it's not that I'm in any way against the setting. I love the setting. It was just more so almost just the energy of the rebels, the energy of the, uh, of the troopers. It just felt kind of low. And the Ewoks are where it actually kind of gets exciting. Mm-hmm. Because then they show up, and it's, you know, I love, you know, they're smashing things, and I love the Ewoks. You know, when that one Ewok dies, that's heartbreaking. It is. They did a really good job with that. Question yeah. for you. Best, yeah. best, best bad guy in The Force Awakens. I have my answer. Who do you think is the best bad guy? The best bad guy in The Force Awakens is... Kind of like Hux. Mm, Hux, um, the, the Hitler speech. <laughs> I mean, I don't support Hux, right. but I like him as a villain. I think that reason I like Hux is because, you know, he kind of had a Tarkin vibe to him, yeah. and he had a and he had a he had a Tarkin vibe that seems like it actually might have consequence, mm-hmm. where it's like because Kylo Ren is so weak in his own right. It's that, like Vader in charge, no question, 
yeah. until the Emperor showed up. There was no question. No one who's the staff of the Death Star has mm-hmm. anything on Darth Vader. That's right. But Hux has something on Kylo Ren. Right. So I think I'm going to go with him unless there's someone else I'm not thinking of. But it's not Kylo and it's definitely not Snoke. No, Snoke and, and Kylo, I agree, were definitely second fiddles for me. And Hux, for me, especially during that big speech, and, and, and I say Hitler-type speech, I, I'm meaning that the actor did an incredible job. And yeah, it was a little bit stolen from our history books. Um, especially oh, yeah. the... it was full Hitler. Then the salute, yeah, it was Hitler's yeah. moment. But to see the actor, who I've seen in other stuff, I can never pronounce his name right, like Dom Hill something, I can't remember. Dom Gleason? Yeah, just to see his face. Bill Weasley? Yeah, Bill Weasley, exactly. Like, when he's shaking and he's, he's kind of tearing up, I'm like, damn, that's some good acting right there. Um, I, 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 he's, my, he's my second favorite, but my favorite bad guy is the stormtrooper that's been nicknamed Traitor, if you know the Oh, movie. yeah, 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 Traitor, yeah, I know him. That guy was badass, like, completely he badass. He walks up, was. he drops his gun, which would have been a sure kill, he pulls out his baton, which is a lesser version of a lightsaber, and he kicks Finn's ass. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why he died is the, the bowcaster took him out. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. He was I think that movie. he was. You know what I think? That, well, I wonder what you think about this. I think what they should have done, and it would have been a very easy move, and it would have alleviated a lot of the complaints that people made about Phasma, they should have given that fight to Phasma. I agree. Completely because agree. Because it was the most standout fight of any of the troopers, and Phasma, even if she just did one more thing, mm-hmm. would have been special, but she wasn't special. And you have an actress who has fight choreography experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you, she, she was way underused in that first movie. It's mm-hmm. like she was way underused, so was um, Carrie Fisher. And it just makes me sad because Ray, I think, was done perfectly. Mm-hmm. To have the other two strong female characters in the movie, well, I guess Maz you can count as another one. Maz did okay. I liked the character. I Maz. thought she was kind of yeah. I thought she was cool. But I mean, she, have, grew, she grew on me. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I was kind of like, oh no, a CG character. And then I kind of got down with her. I mean, but I, I, I yeah, Phasma and and Princess Leia need to be better. Princess Leia. Uh, okay, so let's mm-hmm. let's wrap this up. Let's let's do mm-hmm. that promote actually before. I wanted to do this and I almost forgot. So you do a little bit on Sunnydale uh, study group that I love. Yeah. And that's your cram session. Okay. I, 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 I'm I, glad I, that those are enjoyed. Oh my God. Because... It's, my fa- it's my favorite part of every <laughs> podcast. Number one. How you get through them. And I watched you do it that one time and you're just kind of looking in the air. And I'm like, I, I always presumed you had it written down. <laughs> but... Oh, no, 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 no. I am... I am reaching for the stars. So if sometimes they sometimes they land really succinctly. Yes. When we had when we had Rachel Hine on, who's the editor in chief of Nerdist dot com, and she's a you know a very well, whatever the word is, she's a wordsmith. Mm-hmm. She was just like cringing. I was like doing all these run on sentences, and she's just like, oh ah oh. <laughs> but what I'm going to ask you to do is in five. Okay sentences to sum up for us The Force Awakens. Okay. Luke Skywalker has disappeared. No, I'm kidding. That's the... (laughs) One. No. (laughs) And five. Uh, Five sentences. That's it. That's all you need. All right. After the fallout of the Battle of Endor, 
not all is well in the galaxy as the First Order is a very similar to the Empire type organization that has filled the power vacuum that has been created and is creating a world in which the New Republic has not been extremely successful at creating a peaceful, powerful, benevolent society. One. One. Luke Skywalker failed at rebringing back the Jedi Knights and in doing so took on Leia and Han's son as an apprentice who, presumably, who then falls to the dark side and joins with the First Order and is leading them on a mission to take over the galaxy and to finish what he perceives as the work that his grandfather, who he worships, Darth Vader, set out to do and is doing so by trying to... Um, what did BB-8 have? Oh, the map... Yes, to try to find the map, and he, and he wants to find and finally finish off Luke Skywalker, who is perhaps the last hope for the galaxy. Two. Two? <laughs> um, a fighter pilot stores the plans to find uh, Luke Skywalker in a tiny, adorable little BB-8 droid, BB unit droid named BB-8, who then, after running into a defecting stormtrooper um hold on i'm getting wrapped around as i tend to i never had to do it with a movie um <laughs> it's a lot more to it the bb unit goes off on the desert planet known as tattoo uh, excuse me jakku <laughs> and runs into a scavenger woman named ray who is obsessed with pilot stuff and exhibits that when she runs afoul of a defective stormtrooper or not runs afoul but runs into a defective stormtrooper who she then uh, must escape the planet with because the First Order sees that these three are now together and they do so by hopping into a junky ship that's actually the Millennium Falcon and she flies it with somewhat ease off of the planet of Jakku and in the process gets reunited with the former master of that ship, Han Solo, and his sidekick, Chewie, who are now just scavengers in the galaxy again after Han is fleeing from the shame of his failed marriage with Leia and their son being a failed Jedi Knight who now became part of the dark side. Three. <laughs> The goal is to get the plans where Luke is to Princess Leia and the Resistance, who is the fighting wing of the New Republic. And they go to a woman, a uh, alien woman named Maz Kanata, on a planet where they where Rey starts to discover that maybe there's some kind of connection between her and the Force, but in the process, the First Order discovers them, uh, and while they are unable to retrieve the BB unit, Kylo Ren, who is the son of Han and Leia, the evil son of Han and Leia, captures Rey, brings her on to 
his ship uh, in hopes of interrogating her and kind of getting to the bottom of who she is. And in the process of her being captured, she discovers that she's a Jedi Knight and easily, not super easily, but is able to escape all the while. Uh, uh, am I on, is this the fourth one? Four, yeah. I'm on four. Uh, and all the while, the Resistance is trying to stop the new Death Star from destroying all the planets in the galaxy. And, um, and in doing so, they send Finn, who is a former stormtrooper, along with Han Solo and Chewbacca to go and to infiltrate this because Finn claims that he actually knows what's going on when, in fact, he does not. And he was just faking that so they could activate a mission to go rescue Rey, who he really cares about. Four. Four. Um... Han, Chewie, Finn get in there and are able to reunite with Rey, who has discovered her Jedi powers and has freed herself. And in the process, Han, who has made a promise to Princess Leia to try to bring their son back, confronts his son rather than just escaping and is killed. And the last act that Han and Chewie did together was to put a bunch of detonators that allowed for a explosion that opened up a window for a rebel force led by Poe Dameron to come in and to destroy the new Death Star and this leads to Rey Finn and Kylo Ren having a showdown in the snow where Kylo Ren is very clearly has some kind of feelings and some attachment to Rey and does not want to hurt her and in the process of doing all that, loses, and that's how I keep these sentences going, a lot of ands. <laughs> and while the Starkiller base, which I've been referring to as the third Death Star, which it is, uh, is destroyed, they find that the map is now complete because R2 wakes up randomly and fills in the missing spot and they send Rey off to go and find Luke Skywalker who is bearded and kind of looks like Obi-Wan and is sitting on the middle of a island uh, and Rey, and Rey <laughs> greets him and hands, holds out a lightsaber and then that's the end. Five. Well done. Five. Well done. It's a lot tougher to do with the movie. I was like, well, you know, he's pretty good at this but I'm like, maybe that was just a bit too much. Maybe I should have given him another sentence. It was a good. It was a good uh, exercise, because I was like, I was like, oh right, and I need to include this. You find that Finn kind of falls by the wayside, is what I found in that explanation. Well, just in general, I think that he falls by the wayside. I, as much as you know, Phasma's character could have been better, Leia's character could have been better. I would have liked to have seen something better from Finn. I mean, this was this is your new male lead. This is the guy that is running the story. And maybe, and just maybe, he is supposed to be a plot device for Rey. Maybe that's what he is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for years, that's been the woman's role to, you know, for the man. And to have the shoe on the other foot, maybe as a man, I'm noticing it for the first time with, you know, fresh eyes going, 
Oh, so that's what usually women are cast to do is to just be this plot device for the for the lead character. Mm-hmm. Um, I still want to see more from Finn. I don't really know what they're going to do with him because I thought he was going to be you know Han Solo archetype, but he can't fly a ship. That's what Rey does. Um, he's you know I, he he's not going to be an archetype of any other type of character we've seen before. But I do want to see more from him because he's eager, which is great. And mm-hmm. you know he's been good at ass- ass- assisting them, but he hasn't. He's not going to come into his own in the same level. You know, I mean, when Han Solo was the, if you want to, the other character to Luke Skywalker, Han Solo was, you know, the best pilot in the galaxy, and you know that's Poe Dameron. Um, he was the one of the best shots in the galaxy, uh, and that's you know. It, but what what is Poe? I mean, what do you think he's going to play moving or not Poe um, Finn? What do you think he's going to be? How do you think he's going to evolve? It could go a few ways. It could be that almost Finn is now just the talking Chewbacca, which is, I feel like, more so what he represented. Was He That's was wisecracking, point. and he mm-hmm. was funny, and he was noble, and he brought a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And he represented a character that we hadn't gotten to see humanized yet. It's which true. was the Stormtrooper. Well, I loved his and, beginning, for sure. The Stormtrooper beginning was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that as time goes on, like you said, he's very eager and he's very funny. He's the comedy of this. And and he's comedy in a way that we haven't gotten from Star Wars besides maybe Han Solo. Right. Um, but a lot of the comedy comes from his performance. Right. So I think that the reason that Finn is, is rather beloved is, is more so his performance than how he's actually written. Right. And so what I'm hoping for Finn... I'm hoping for Finn that he's the figure that kind of liberates the Stormtrooper. Because it's like, if that can kind of be the theme from him, what I like, whether it is subliminal, too subliminal, or is actually bliminal, is that, say like a little kid who has been recruited into ISIS or something like that, Mm -hmm. somehow gets his hands on the Force Awakens. Right. Force Awakens would plant a seed that you don't have to do this. And even though I know that that's not necessarily, that's, you know, that might be a leap, but the thing is, films in some way do influence culture. And mm-hmm. if Finn's journey can be kind of helping soldiers from the evil side find their humanity and to defect, I think that would be an interesting way to go with him. Uh, and if you could kind of put him in Leia's camp a little bit more versus yeah. him hanging out with Rey, because I think that, I mean, episode eight is just going to be the Rey and Luke show, and that's honestly right. kind of all I want it to be. Right, yeah, um, agreed. That's all I want. I want Rey, I want Luke, I want a little bit more Leia. I'm fine with Poe and Finn, but I mostly want Ghost Yoda. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to get it, but I want it. Um, and... Uh, yeah, where do you think? Yeah, where do you think it's good? Because I guess because Poe, I'm kind of comfortable with Poe. It's like he's not much, but he's like, like Wedge Antilles wasn't much, but we love him. Right. Yes, because he's just a great pilot. No, and and I loved Poe's character in The Force Awakens personally. I um. I I don't know what much more they're gonna do with Poe. To be frank, I don't think you can turn him into much more. Then a wedge Antilles, like just this great fighter pilot that's assisting the resistance out in the sky, however they need. 
Um, mm -hmm. With that being said, I'd still like to see him involved because the, the fight scenes, the sky fight scenes in particular, were outstanding. And his character, I mean, that one where he blows up, I think it's nine ships in that one little um, interlude above Finn's head was just outstanding. The shot was, the the lore of, of the character Poe Dameron was. Um, but... I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I know there's a lot of people that are shipping Poe and Finn. Yeah. I mean, that's probably not going to be done, but I ship it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, I think they announced that there was going to be an LBGTQ uh, character in this in episode 8. They just didn't say who or what. So. Oh, wow. I didn't um, know that. I know they did one in um, the book that I'm reading right now. Um, oh, I can't remember it. The white one. It's on my dresser. It's one of the ones that came out with The Force Awakens. Oh, God. It's just before. They, they apparently have um, a gay character in that, and because of that, a lot of people were slamming the book. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? I mean, get over yourself. And they're like, well, screw it. We're going to put one in the next movie. Hope you enjoy it. Sort of yeah. so, so I'm kind of looking yeah. forward to seeing how that turns out. Um, anything else about Star Wars that uh, you want to talk about? Hmm. I think that... I think it's okay if you, as an individual, want to choose the Legends universe or the Expanded universe or the films because so much work over so many decades has been poured into that storyline and it doesn't deserve to just necessarily be declared as false. Right. So I think that it is, while they are, almost in like a religious way, I think it's okay to choose that timeline mm -hmm. as what you believe is canon right um i what else would i want to talk about with star wars uh the maybe the future of the anthology films a little bit like where are those gonna go are we i guess rogue ones changed my perspective a little bit on that like i mm -hmm. would love a boba fett film now like i i get the idea of if you can follow the rogue one template and build out the universe in these shorter, lower stakes movies that let us have Vader again. <laughs> and that is that makes me think about it differently. Whereas at first, like I definitely do not want a young Han Solo movie. I please, please, I don't want it. I don't want it at all. Um, think you're just because one. I think because I think there's, it's if they cast like someone who's annoying in it, it's like that would suck. I was like, remember and, when they did the young Indiana Jones? That's kind of the same feel I think it's going to have. Where it just right, and it's work. even more precious, because Han is more precious than Indy. Mm. Um, and Indy's cool, but like, and I love Indy, but Indy's, Indiana Jones movies are no, not even, don't even hold a candle to Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is awesome, and Last Crusade is awesome, but like, mm. the worlds are so much smaller, and um, I think... What are the other ones? There's Crystal Skull, Boba Fett. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, the Boba Fett one and the Honor one are the only two I've heard. There's probably others that have been announced, but yeah, they're the only two that I've heard beyond Rogue One. Yeah, um, I think they should abandon Han Solo. Um, yeah, get let's get Kathleen Kennedy on the phone. Look, abandon this young Han Solo <laughs> film. It's just gonna be weird. Nobody cares. We get it. We get what happened. Um, Rogue One is cool. Um, I would wonder if they would do almost like what the, unless this would be too strange, kind of what the Marvel Universe is doing, even though I've kind of grown a little bit bored of the Marvel Universe. Um, but 
with the Marvel Universe, how it, it's like Avengers movie, then it fills it out. Avengers movie, then it fills it out. What if it was like episode fills it out? Which Rogue One probably could end up doing if that character is Rey's mother or she's the somehow did something that influenced things later on besides just stealing the Death Star plan. Like maybe there's a way for her to influence not just the original trilogy but also the new trilogy. I didn't even think of that as her being Rey's mother. That actually would make a lot of sense. It would be cool. My wife's got a theory that it, that she's a Kenobi, which I would like to see. But, you know, knowing the canon that I do, unless something happened on Tatooine, you know, and pretty, pretty right. near the end of Obi-Wan's life, it seems a little, you know... Oh, I'm sure Obi-Wan made something happen. <laughs> but it, it would, you know, be one of those things that it's possible, but... Um, and, and if that is the case, then you got you got a whole Obi One thing to do, and I know the comics universe is playing in that world a little bit, which I enjoy. Um, but That's I'd cool. like to I'd like to know about more Obi One from his his days on Tatooine, looking after Luke. Um, that would be something I would be interested. In. I would not bring Ewan McGregor back for that though, because I, I no I, I, no yeah. I do like no. what you're saying about filling in the gaps. I mean. And with Marvel, they're, they're, they're using the TV shows as well, whereas um, it sounds like uh, Star Wars is going to try to use more of the comics to fill gaps as opposed to the TV shows. Mm-hmm. And um, then, But I, I kind of agree with you. I'd like to see the kind of in-between movies where, you know, you take someone like, you know, you could take a Maz Kanata and give her a movie and just kind of have an offshoot to explain why she's as cool as she is without, you know, having to... You know, it, you don't have to watch it, but if you want to know why, you know, how cool she is or, or her history, you can watch it. So, I, I would like to do. I like when they tangent out on characters like that. Unless the Marvel universe, I mean, for them though, their properties are much bigger. You could take Iron Man, give him his own movie, and then throw him in Avengers because mm-hmm. so many people know who Iron Man is. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll. The way I see it is Disney, generally makes the right call on these things. And I have to have faith that that's going to continue. And without Disney doing what they did, we wouldn't have Ray. We wouldn't have the Force Awakens to talk about. Yeah, so. Ray is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's someone that I feel like she is such a perfect thing. Yep. Like I, especially someone growing up, loving Buffy, loving Xena, like you know, always a strong female action hero has always been my favorite thing. And the fact that now the Star Wars universe is headed by a strong female Jedi, there's nothing more I would want right. uh, out of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And there was obviously like all that controversy around her being too skilled, and it's like, you know what? I hear it, but it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And, it's, I'm, and it didn't seem like an accident, you know? It's like if you're looking at even the subtleties of like Ray and her X-wing helmet and or her yeah her pilot helmet and just it's like maybe they could have made it a little clearer why it would be so instant for her to develop all these skills but I feel like it's tied into the story to me it didn't feel like an accident yeah only one incident bothered me and that was the mind trick and that was just become from from a mm-hmm. purely geek standpoint that is a high level Jedi skill that it takes yeah. a long time to practice. That's the only one I had even a slight issue with. But yeah. the only way I can think about it is that, I mean, it sounds like she under, she's heard the stories and the lore of the Jedi. and the, It was unclear, just, though. It was right. unclear. They I, could have made it clearer. 
Right, and, and if that was a lot more clear, I think I would have been a little bit more, ex, ex, you know, accepting that. Hey, look, she's heard of the Jedi mind trick and thought she'd try it, sort of idea. And she, totally. Uh, yeah, that's but, what I think happened. To me, that's right. what happened. Right. But I think that you're right. It was like, wait a minute, how does she know that already? It's like, well, maybe I mean, there could have been a scene. I think that there should have been a scene when her and BB-8 are first going back to her little place. That's almost the equivalent of the Yoda and uh, Luke Dagobah scene. Where it's just kind of two people in a little bit in a tiny room having a chat, and obviously BB-8 is awesome. And if in that scene, Ray could have gotten across to us that she knows a lot about the Jedi, that she has studied ships and has flown ships, and in fact thinks she's pretty good at it. A little uh, bit of exposition, it, yeah. Just a little bit, and you could have done it in a fun scene with the most popular character, BB-8, mm-hmm. um, and. And I think that that would have alleviated, in an under three minute scene, I think they could have alleviated a lot of what it felt like were people's most constant complaints. Mm-hmm. I think they were doing their best to try to avoid exposition moments because that was the prequels. It was just, here, okay, let's give you three movies of exposition. Mm-hmm. So I can understand being a little gun shy, but with that being said, I agree with you. Give us a, a small short scene. It doesn't. It could be comical. It could be whatever you want. But just let us know that she's heard of these Jedi and that these are stories that she believes or she's you know always been fascinated by, and to then try because everything else like the fighting didn't bother me, the ability to, you know, get into Kylo Ren's head because she's watching him do it to her. He's she's learning from him as he's doing it, and therefore she's able to mimic it. So I never had a problem with anything else. It was it was just the one thing. Right. Um, Okay, so where can people find you on the thing called the internet? Ah, uh, the thing called the internet. Uh, so my name is Chris Bramante. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Amontioc. Um, you can find me with the Sunnydale Study Group podcast, which is SSG Podcast on Twitter and Sunnydale Study Group on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can find me with Robot Teammate and the Accidental Party. If you look up Robot Teammate, we'll come up there. Uh, And then there's other things as well, but they're not necessarily as present right now. But there's a bunch of geeky music videos that I've done on a channel called Anim Fantastic that I do with my friends, the Scavoni brothers, from time to time. Uh, That used to be more of an animation talk show that my buddy Matt created, but then he moved up north to work at Leica. So we haven't been doing that project that much anymore because, and so when we do do a video for it, he, uh, me and his, uh, Matt's brother Jimmy, who I also, you know, Jimmy always was, me, Jimmy, and Matt, that was the channel, but Jimmy and I will do a music video every handful of months. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see some of those there. And then you can see stuff from Hamiltoons. I'm not exactly sure what the future of Hamiltoons holds, um, but, you know, email us, like I said, at hamiltoons at gmail.com if you want to bring it to your city or town. And I think those are the things. I mean, this summer, if you're in L.A., um, Come see Thug Tunnel, which is the new Robot Teammate musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, that's that, those are the current things at the moment. <laughs> My name is Blair Beveridge. I am the host of Who Pod, uh, as well as Forest Ghost, which we will both show up on the same uh, RSS feed, if you will. I do a uh, video Google Hangouts type interview show called Webisode Watch, where I interview... Um, digital online creators and talk about their projects and, and you know their inspirations and whatnot. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Blair Beverage at WhoPod at 
webisode watch. Uh, there is technically an at Force Ghosts, but I'm just going to leave that one lie, and, and you can just contact me at WhoPod if you are interested in doing this podcast. And I am a big Star Wars fan, as is Chris Bramante, my guest I today. I am indeed. I am indeed. I must admit, I've seen you wear it a few times. You have that shirt that says Stop Wars, which I absolutely love. Thank I you. Love that I love that, that shirt as well. This one, the one I'm wearing right now, is just a Star Wars shirt. That's old school. I love the old school shirts, for sure. Yeah, me too. All right, so yeah. thanks again, once again, to my guest. Thanks Chris. for having me, man. Anytime you want to talk Star Wars, I could talk about it all day. I will yeah. take you up on that one, my friend. Okay, till yeah. next time, guys. Take care.